Hello and welcome to Miss Bossy Boots, keeping it real for women in business. My name is Stacey Morgan and I'm joined by my co-host, Jane Hilsden. She's the Managing Director of Dragonfly Marketing and soon to be a published author because her book, if I do believe, is kind of on its way, Jane. It is, yes. As we record this, we are in May, if I have that correct. I really don't know the day or the time or the month at the moment. Yes, it's planning to be launched at the end of June. Woohoo! All going so well. So exciting. And as we record this, it's Mother's Day coming up on Monday. So happy Mother's Day, Jane. Uh, ditto. I have come flying, talking about keeping it real for women in business, I've come flying from the Mother's Day celebration, if you can tell by my beautiful nails. Oh, gorgeous. I've been to the preschool for my right hand and kindergarten for my left hand. Really beautiful nail work there. Winning. Yes, winning. I had my photo taken with my funny feather boa and my funny mask and did all the Mother's Day things and then felt, of course, completely guilty that I had to leave 10 minutes into the event to be here to record with all the other mothers gushing. But okay. actually, I really don't feel like my six-year-old cared. <laughs> let me let me make you feel less guilty. Um, Fleur came, Fleur's 12, she came home to me, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday, and said, Mum, you missed the Mother's Day breakfast um, again. Again? Oh. But she said, don't worry. Right um, the, the teachers asked where you were and I said, she's far too busy to attend this event. <laughs> this I said, event. thank you, Fleur. Thank you, Fleur. You are correct. But Stace, hopefully your guilt feels a little less after hearing such story. Yeah, that is lovely. And you'll hear... Um, <laughs> noise in the background during this episode and that's because I've got Henry strapped to me. Actually, do you want to take a photo for the Instagram while we're at it? Sure. Because Henry is here in the sling, which he's, you know, fast becoming too big for and my back is really feeling it. He's chewing on the uh, headphone cord today. Uh, Look, keeping it real, it's all about keeping it real. And today we're keeping it very real with a boss lady of a different kind... Alana Roper got in touch with us as a fan of the podcast and when we read her story, we thought, well, this is keeping if this isn't keeping it real, then what is? So welcome to the Miss Bossy Boots podcast, Alana. Thank you and hello. Hello. Um, I'm so glad that you're here and so glad that you're here and ready and open to share your story because I think we all think about our daily lives and the busy lives that we lead as we are all having a unique story to tell. But often... We're not quite brave enough to be able to tell the story. And today you said when you first came in that you're going to be stepping out of your comfort zone. So go you. Totally out of my comfort zone. (laughs) Um, Alana, you wrote to us, as Stacey said, you wrote to us as a fan of the podcast (laughs) and you said you described yourself as a different kind of Miss Bossy Boots and then you went on to share your story with me. I'd love you to share that with our listeners. Okay. It's quite a long story. Great. It's a story and most most of all it's a battle. Um, and it's a battle against everything that a mother knows. Um, and it's a battle for a family. And above all, it's a battle of survival. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> Gosh, don't, don't worry about it. And listeners, you'll understand... Um, in a minute, why why these tears, uh, uh, why Alana is feeling a bit emotional and um, I think we all will be <laughs> as she shares this story and I once again want to applaud you for your bravery Thank you. in sharing Thank this you. message. It's such okay. an important story to share. Yeah, It's important for a lot of reasons but um, mostly it's important because there isn't a lot of discussion about this topic Um So I guess I'll start by talking about me as a person. Um, I've been a a beauty therapist for the last 15 years um, working with women. Um, I owned and operated my own amazing beauty salon that I started from scratch. Um, I actually started it in my bedroom of my house. Oh, fantastic. What was it Um, called? It was called Lash Effects by Alana. So I was an eyelash technician, um, something that was completely new um, to to the beauty industry. Um, And I saw it and... Knew that it knew that it was the way of the future in an industry that I loved. Um, so I did that, um, 
and I met my beautiful husband and we got married. Um, and in December, on the 31st of December 2014, I had a beautiful baby boy. Um, um, so his name is Austin Jimmy Roper, as he describes himself to everybody. Um, he's also got a nickname called Aussie. Gorgeous. Um, a couple of locals may know him from his Facebook page, um, Aussie's Heroes. And I've quickly become known as Aussie's mum. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As we do as parents, I was say, you know, I think yeah, that we I've, do. I've become known as Aussie's mum. Um, Aussie, How old is he? He's four. Wow. Um, and he's a very vibrant, beautiful little four-year-old boy. An amazing entry into the world. And he flourished as a baby. Um, he was really healthy. Um, I couldn't have really wished for a better baby. Um, I didn't really understand that at the time. Um, yeah. But he was beautiful and perfect. Um, he... Never, we never really had any health concerns or health issues with him. Um, however, by his second birthday, which was New Year's Eve, um, we get, we began to notice a couple of changes within him. Yeah, um, he he was in childcare at the time, um, but he kind of kept on getting viruses and kept on getting sick. Um, I thought. He was just sick. Yeah. Um, as toddlers as, yeah. can be at that age. Kids just get sick. Yeah. They catch everything. In childcare particularly. Yeah. 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 Um, so I persevered. I took him to the doctor a lot um, and they were great. A couple of times they did refer us on to a paediatrician at our local hospital. We got to emergency because that's the procedure. Yeah. Um, so we went through emergency and... The emergency doctor just thought, it's just viral. So there was no need to kind of see a paediatrician. And as parents, first-time parents, we only had one child. We were happy with that. Yeah. Um, it's an it's actually a common answer, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Because the amount of times any parent, I think, goes to yeah. emergency because there's really nothing else around, yeah. you know, or it's because it's a procedure. Yeah. And it's always viral and we can't do anything about it. Or occasionally they'll send you off with some antibiotics yeah. and, and you go on your way. What kind of what what kind of symptoms were his his sickness? Like when you say you, he was sick and you took him, what, what was he? Uh, so he had a really relentless cough. So yeah. this cough, it was relentless. It would only happen at night time, which, again, is pretty common for yeah. children with croup and things like that. Um, he was vomiting a lot. Right. Um, and... He also had a, a persistent limp. So I suppose that in itself, a limp in a child that I understand now yeah. is something that isn't quite normal. Mm. Um, but we did what, every, what we were told yeah. to do. We had and an x-ray. Yep. So what can you compare yep. it to? We went and had an x-ray and an ultrasound and we went to every single you know person that we could to try and get some help it was muscular um so he still had this persistent limp and we started to notice a couple of bruises presenting over his body in strange places so he had them down his spine and he had a couple across his chest I mean it's normal for kids to have bruises on their arms and legs but when they had them on their torso mm. I took him to the GP um he also wasn't sleeping, which mm. again happens with children. But he was diagnosed on the 20th of April. Um, on the 8th of April, um, things really started to go downhill for him. Mm -hmm. um, he couldn't sleep. It was like he was in pain, and that's what I kept on saying to my doctor. He's in pain. They looked at his throat, his ears. There was nothing. So they put me on a course of antibiotics. Um, I finished the course of antibiotics he still didn't really improve. Mm. So so when you say he was diagnosed on the 4th, what was he diagnosed with? He was diagnosed on the 20th of April. Oh, 20th. Um, he was diagnosed with leukaemia, yeah. So the 8th of April I took him – oh, sorry, the 8th of April. It was a Saturday. I remember Saturday the 8th of April. I was staying at my in-law's house um, and – 
he'd been sleeping on and off, but this particular night he was just rolling around moaning and groaning. And mm. I was like, what is going on here? Like, is it a sleep regression as a mum you do that? Is it, yeah. is it something else? Yeah. I don't know. Um, so I end, he just kept on saying, I want to go home. I mean, he's only two. Yeah, so he, he's in hospital at this no, point. No, 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 we're oh, still at home. Sorry, yep, at your mum's We're house. still at my in-law's place, yeah. yep. Um, he just kept on saying, and my mother-in-law will know. My, he, we were just both really shocked. It was really unusual behaviour for him. Yeah. So I did. I packed up my things, our things, and we went home. Um, he slept most of the way in the car, but I took him to the doctors, and, yeah, we were on and off antibiotics and a few different things. Um, it wasn't until the Tuesday so he was diagnosed on the 20th so that was a Thursday so the Tuesday before he um, was asleep and he just started coughing and almost vomiting Um, it was like he couldn't breathe like he couldn't Mm. get enough air so I picked him up out of his cot and he was limp it Mm. was like he'd stop breathing so I said to Nathan my husband you need to um you need to ring an ambulance yeah so they rang an ambulance and we went into the hospital um, where they gave us – he had a roaring fever. Um, and, yeah, we the doctor kind of looked at him. They gave him some Panadol and some Nurofen and then they sent us home. Oh. It's just viral. It's just viral. Gosh. But Nathan and I were obviously growing really quite concerned here. Um so I took him back to the doctor the next day on the on the Wednesday. No, sorry, I took him back to the doctor on the Thursday morning and she just took one look at his stomach, like he had this really enlarged stomach. Um, and she said, I think you need to get him seen by a paediatrician this time. So she, she rang forward and she spoke to the registrar, uh, the paediatric registrar at the hospital, and um, they knew we were coming. Mm. And they knew the situation. She didn't say anything about no. cancer or leukemia or anything. No. She just said, I think you need... Um, just to, get him. Yeah, yep. to get him seen. So we went into emergency. Um, we were triaged, as you are in emergency, um, where the triage nurse looked at me and she said, I really don't think there's anything wrong with this, son. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I'll get you seen by a doctor, but... Protocol is you have to be seen by the emergency doctor first. And I was like, I've come with a letter. This is what's requested of our GP. She's phoned ahead. Please let us see a paediatrician. And they said, oh, we'll we'll do what we have to do um, to make sure he's okay. I was kind of frustrated at that point in time. But we went through and they took us into, into our own room and... The nurse who had seen us, um, the, sorry, the nurse who was taking us through, we were lucky that she was really thorough. Mm. And it was only because his stomach was so huge mm. and, you know, the bruising across the yeah. the upper part of his body, they just said he needs to have a blood test straight away. Right. Um, and from that blood test... Knock, knock, knock on the door. Here's the paediatrician wow. <laughs> that we'd been asking to see. So it all happened pretty quickly. Um, he was asleep in my arms because it was a pretty traumatic experience getting that blood. Yeah. Um, so he'd fought for so long that he just kind of collapsed and fell asleep in my arms when the paediatrician said, I just want to have a look over him. And I noticed that there was this red rash that was appearing around his neck. I won't go into too much detail, but because they had wrapped him up to get the blood test, it was where he had been pulling against the sheet around the back of his neck. It was kind of like a pressure mark. Yes. And it was red and it was all broken. It looked like his skin was broken. I said to her, what is this? And she said, "I'll, I'll tell you what I think's going on in a minute. And at that point in time, tears started to well in her eyes. Oh, gosh, Alana. Yep. What was your gut feel at this point? What was going through your head at this point? I, it was all happening so quickly. Um, and I knew it was serious because she had brought someone else in yep. with her. Yep. Um, there was someone with her. And I could see this stress rash 
that was appearing across gosh. her neck. Oh, gosh. And I was watching this rash and she's looking over his body and she's feeling this massive stomach and I'm thinking, oh, mm. this isn't mm. good. Mm. I never, ever thought, I was never a Google mum. I didn't Google yeah. anything. If I had have Googled his symptoms, I probably would have come up with something. Mm. But I never, Googled, I never Googled anything and she... She looked at me in the eyes and she was wearing her glasses and she said, looking at Austin's blood results and all of his symptoms, we think Austin's got leukaemia. Wow. Yep. And that was all she said. And she just said, I'm so, so sorry to tell you that. And I remember at that point I was holding him like he was still asleep in my arms and I thought, oh, God. Mm kids die from leukemia yeah yeah that was my first yeah yeah um they told us we had to get to a major hospital really really quickly um because his blood count was so low right um and they don't have pediatric icu in our hospital here right um so i was like okay let's go yeah (laughs) yeah get us out of here um Unfortunately, we couldn't leave straight away because of his... So the reason his stomach was so big was because his liver and spleen were three times the size of a normal person's liver and spleen. Wow. It's because his leukaemia in his bones had kind of spilled out into his bloodstream. Gosh. um, And his liver and spleen were trying to filter it out. So they were just swollen... um, but we had to have an X-ray of his chest before we could go anywhere because of that cough, which was actually what the cough was was just his liver and spleen pushing up on his lungs. So right. when he was laying back, yeah, he just couldn't get any yes. air in because they were kind of squashing his lungs. <gasps> um, so yeah, they said we're going to have to have an X-ray, and I was like. How I just, am I going to yeah. do an x-ray? Like, I've, we've just pinned this child down to get a blood yeah. test. Now you've yeah. told me he's got leukaemia and now you want me to have an x-ray. So, Nathan, my husband, was like, Alana, we have to do this mm. so that we can get him to safety. And I was like, oh, I refused. I was like, no, I'm just going to take him. And they're like, we can't let you leave. So they took us around and did an x-ray and he didn't have any... His chest was clear, his lungs were clear. So they let us go. So we packed our, we, we drove home. Um, we packed a suitcase. They told us at the hospital, we don't know how long you're going to be away for, but it's probably going to be a long time. Wow. So pack enough clothes for a few months. Um, so we did. I just ran home frantically, packed a suitcase. I just, my sister had folded a pile of washing for me because I was so tired from yeah. obviously not sleeping. Yeah. So I just grabbed this pile of washing and, and I... Hoped that everything was in I it. I just <laughs> threw it in. And I remember Nathan, my husband, trying to think really practically about yeah. what we were going to take. Like it's just the, the two differences in people. And I was like, I don't care what I take, just get... Yeah, I just need to get yeah. to the hospital. We need just, to start this journey. Yeah. Yeah. So we drove for three hours to Newcastle. How was that car trip? Oh, horrific. I can't even put words, I can't even tell you what I was feeling because by this point in time, we had to tell our families. Yeah. Um, and that was probably, I I couldn't tell them. No. Um, I had to let, I had to let Nathan tell them. So my parents were actually on holidays. Um so, but my sister had been at my place, so they knew that we were at hospital. My sister, I think, my sister knew, my sister knew, she mm. knew. Mm. Um, I don't know how she knew, but she kept on yeah. pushing me to go to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so she knew. Um, yeah, so the car ride, uh, it was silent. Um, Ozzy was asleep. He fell asleep. Um, and I was so scared, I just held his hand and rested my hand on his stomach to mm. make sure that he was yeah. breathing. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that was the only thing I could do was just comfort him. And I remember a few times, Nathan, I was like, how far away are we? And he's like, we're probably two hours away. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. 
It must have felt like you'd been travelling for hours. Yeah. And when we finally pulled in, when we got to the traffic lights um, as you're coming into Newcastle, I just felt this sense of relief. Mm. Thank goodness we were here. We pulled up and we parked in doctors, the doctor's parking right out the front of the hospital because to us it didn't matter no. what, it ha- what, what was going to happen. No. Um, so we, we took him straight in and he vomited in the car, which was pretty standard. He yeah. vomited a lot. Yeah. Um, so we'd sat in vomit smell for probably an hour and a half, but he had no clothes on and I just picked him up yeah. and wrapped him in a blanket and took him straight inside. Um, and we met a doctor. Um, it was 10 o'clock at night. Uh, by the time we got there, no, it was about nine o'clock at night. By the time we got there, so the oncology team had gone home, but we saw a paediatric registrar who's kind of prepared us a little bit yeah. um, for what was going to happen. So we had to go in Friday morning um, to have a lumbar puncture, and they also had to take some of his um, bone marrow. So they had to do what's called a bone marrow aspirate to determine exactly the type of leukemia that he had. So um, that night, Nathan, we were so lucky that we got a room at Ronald McDonald House. Yes. Um, where we actually lived for nine months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he got a room there um, and I stayed with Aussie. I just remember that when I first walked up to the to the ward um, and they took us into the room, all I wanted was a shower because Aussie had vomited yeah. you know, everywhere and we'd had to clean it up. And um, the nurse was like, oh, absolutely. And she showed me into where the bathroom was and she was the most beautiful person mm. I've ever met in my mm. life. She made me a bed. Mm. Um, but she's like, you can sleep with Aussie if you wanted to. Um, so it was just a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, so many emotions. And, and Aussie was two? When two and three months. Two yeah. and three months, and he's now four? He's four, so we're two years into treatment. What has the last day-to-day, what has that looked like for you? Um, it kind of, it's really hard to explain, and it's not something that many people can really understand. Um, it's totally transformed who we are as people. I bet. Um and it's not just in a in a personality or a, a gratefulness. You know, we're so incredibly grateful. Um, but it's changed us in blackout, my mental health, for example. Yeah. Um, post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. However, in saying all of that, our lives are still very happy yeah. um, because we're so very grateful for everything that we have and if anything this journey has journey this experience has taught us is that life's too short and for yeah. a long time when we were in Newcastle I was sitting back just wishing away the days mm. but then we lost a little friend and suddenly I realised that there's no point wishing away the days because we don't know no. when's, when anything could happen. Were the doctors, I mean, can they, can they give you indications along the way? Can they say he's responding really well or do you know what I mean? To, yep. I, I guess we, we're geared towards optimism. Yeah, and especially as a mother, totally. and it's a child, and you know whether it's the heart or the brain that kicks in, going, you know, he's going to be the survivor. He's going to be the one that responds well. He's going to be that good news story. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were telling yourself? Were were people giving you that, or I guess it's something that maybe they can't afford to give, no, because anything can happen. Yeah, they can't. For a long time, I kept on, you know saying to our oncologist can you just tell me he's going to be okay please tell me that and he's like I'm sorry I can never make that kind of 
And so I guess like in that situation, my mind kind of scrambles for, well, he can't tell me that, but I'm going to scramble for clues. You know, mm. I'm going to trick him. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to mm. trick that information out of him. I'll just ask questions and yep. see if I can gauge from his response yep. as to where Ozzy's sitting on the yep. benchmark, you know, yep. as to, to how that's and, – and I guess they're probably trained to – Exactly that. They <laughs> give, you give you nothing. They, yeah. they give you nothing. So what When I you- say they give you nothing, they give you a lot. You know, yeah. they give you a lot. They but give it's not what you. you need. It's not what you need because they give you this realist point of view. Yeah. Uh, and the point of view is that some children don't make it through treatment. And when we first got there on the Friday morning, um, that's exactly what our oncologist said. Wow. I have to tell you this. Wow. There's a chance. Straight up. Yep. There's a chance that Aussie won't survive a month. And what did you. Whoa, a month. Mm. mm. Yeah. What 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 was your reaction to that? Um I was just so angry. Angry. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I was so angry that I think one of my strongest questions to him was, but why did this happen? Yeah. And again there's no answers. So yeah. by that point I'm just angry because there's no answers as to why Aussie's got this or why children children get cancer. Um and there was no, yeah. And now he's telling me that there's a chance that he won't survive a month. You know, like well, I was just so angry. What do you do with that? Yeah. What do you do? That's yeah. it. What do you do? What yeah. do you do? There's you nothing know, you, you can do. You just sit with it. Yeah. Um, and by this stage in treatment, it's so early. Um, he had had a dose of chemotherapy by this stage. He'd started oral steroids. He'd had a lumbar puncture and, and um, chemo into his spinal fluid. Um, but he wasn't showing any signs of being reactive to treatment like what you're, oh. what you're asking me. Yeah. Um, they do do a lot of blood tests and through the blood tests they can see whether the cancer is leaving their blood. Right. Um, and Aussie is a high risk, so he's in a high risk category. Um, and he's high risk because he was very slow to respond to treatment. Right. So within the first eight days, they like to see the leukemia cells in their blood gone. Um, but Aussie still had them. He had them she up has. to 12 days. Gosh. Which just means that there's a lot of cancer in the bone oh. marrow. Yeah. So. Not assuring. No, no, terrible. <laughs> Not assuring terrible. information. Yeah. yeah. And our oncologist basically said to us, we met with him and, he just said, look, we need to see those cells. Um, sorry. Oh, no, no, you oh sorry. Yeah. we need to see those, um, those cells uh, reducing so that we can give you more hope. But, I mean, it, in terms of hope of a treatment, um, a treatment point of view, if he didn't go into remission after the first 28 days of treatment, he would have been headed for a bone marrow transplant. Um, so that's always still on the cards at any point, um, which has a 50-50% survival rate. So 50% of people are successful in a bone marrow transplant. So you talked about it being a journey. Yes. Where's the journey at? Do you have a clear vision of where the journey's going and... I'm talking specifically, I guess, about Aussie himself, yeah. but for your family as well. Mm. Where are you guys at? Um, so for Aussie, he's two years into treatment now and he's sitting comfortably on maintenance treatment. Um, we've had a few scares in maintenance treatment mm. um, and we've had a few changes to um, what his initial, um, I suppose, protocols were. Uh, that was three years of treatment. Right. Um, but they've now changed it to two years of treatment. So what do you mean by maintenance treatment? Is it like they give him a kind of initial big blast? That's it. yeah. And then yeah. for the longer term, they just have to kind of reduce the dose yeah. and consistently do it for what they thought was three. Yeah. But now they think two. So the Which thing is... Which is, is that positive? 
<laughs> the thing is with cancer treatment is they only they go off a study. So they follow a study and they follow a study of children. So oh, Aussie's in a study. Okay. And this is how they determine what works best. So they study children. Um, and in terms of an outcome for Aussie, around 15% of children will relapse with leukaemia. Right. Um, and it can relapse in many ways. Um, so that's... And when you say many ways, like it can manifest as different cancer? Yep. Right. Yeah. Different cancer, I suppose, in different places. So right. you can have leukaemia um, different places. So in your spinal fluid. Yeah. Um, so you can relapse there or you can relapse with the same leukaemia. So when, like now that he's kind of, will he'd almost be at the end of that he two is, years yes. treatment. So yep. when they're doing the blood tests, has the cancer gone? Like where, what? Well, that's what? an answer nobody knows. So mm. like you can't no. emphatically say he's in remission. He is in remission. He but is in remission. remission but it's a different a, meaning. It's a diff. remission's a kind of a, yeah. When he, his last bone marrow um, presented us with a positive, you know, positive outlook. But this is the thing. A lot of children will go through exactly what he's gone through. 15% mm. of them will will be back. Um, you cross, you just cross your fingers and toes that that fifteen percent isn't isn't us. So, yeah. Every single person that's listening to this has all of their fingers and toes crossed. <laughs> P.S. the The story you tell with such heart, and I know everybody that's listening is is thinking that exact same thing. What does day to day look like with him now because when you're telling the story I'm kind of standing back from the microphone and I can't help but just wanting to hold mm. yeah my babies mm. and Henry's left the room mm. not on his own he's well he's well taken <laughs> he's care of out, out in the hallway <laughs> but in that moment I'm like I wish I he wasn't yeah I wish he was here to hold because yeah. I want to hold my babies as I'm hearing you mm. talked about that. Yeah. What What does your daily life look like? And is there a lot of holding Aussie? Because um, I can imagine there there would be a lot of it was a real, cuddles. Yeah, and it's a real battle because children need, you know, they need um, boundaries and they need rules. And unfortunately, I have instilled none of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um because I don't really care. Yep. Uh, it's not really important to me. Yep. Um, I do get frustrated as a mum, though. Like, I'm just like every other mum. But I think I have another point of view where I just think I'm so lucky to have him. Yeah. You know, he can do he, – he can't do any wrong by yep. me. Yeah. And we're lucky that he's a pretty beautiful kid, regardless of what he went through. Yeah. His nature is pretty beautiful. Um, he has his moments, but he does challenge me as well. Yeah. But he just, he's such a mummy's boy and he adores me. Um, you know, I there's a lot of cuddling and there's a lot of... A lot of love. ...praise and there's yeah. a lot of, um, you know, everything positive because... You just don't know what the future holds and I don't want him to be, you know, I don't, he's been through enough sadness and enough grief and enough, um, I suppose, oh, it's trauma. Mm. He, he was very traumatised for a very long time. Mm. Um, anyone would walk into that hospital room and he'd be straight away, get out of here, mm. you know. He learnt very quickly to tell people to go away. He developed very few relationships with many nurses. Um, I would see children and they'd have these beautiful relationships with the nurses, but Ozzy just didn't want a bar of anybody. He just wanted Nathan and I. Yeah. And unfortunately, at some points, his his bond to me, I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave him. Yeah. I, if he was in hospital... I was right there too. Like I never, some parents would often share because when you're in hospital with a kid in treatment, it's like you have nurses coming in every few hours. Mm. 
Um, you have chemotherapy, like sometimes we would have to stay in hospital while he was having chemotherapy overnight. And some of the chemo was that strong that they would have to pump fluids through him so it didn't sit in his kidneys because it would cause kidney damage. And, oh, you know, gosh. so there was nurses coming in all the time to change his nappy and you don't really sleep very well. But no. I can tell you that I learned to sleep through just about anything. I bet. And I had some of the most amazing, inspiring, beautiful conversations with nurses at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. You know, they're on night shift and I couldn't sleep and... And they would be in there, not just nurses, but doctors as well. I yeah. had many amazing conversations with doctors and um, I'm so grateful for their time yeah. um, that they gave me. But Ozzy's a different kid in a hospital now. Right. You can take him into a hospital and he thrives. He right. loves it. Yeah. He's kind of moved on from the trauma of that initial nine months where it's just every week, you know, yeah. there. He's having chemo every week. He's having general anaesthetics. He's having lumbar and punches. He's, he's too having... small to be able to process. Yeah, it was too many emotions for yeah. his little head, and yeah, and, and you know, physical, yeah, you know, physical yeah. trauma as well. And me as his mum, I'm sitting there, and at points in time, you have to be their voice. Yeah, and I would just have to say, look, I really feel like. He just needs five minutes. Yeah. And if I didn't say it, I'd make my husband say it because this journey, you're in a you're in a situation where you know nothing. Like I can talk about what Ozzy's been through now and I can talk in about what's happened to his body and yeah. all this treatment that he's had. But when we first got there, I knew absolutely nothing no. about what was going on. I'd actually never really been in a hospital before. Yeah. Um, Ozzy was actually an IVF baby, so I had pretty severe endometriosis, so I went through IVF to have him. Wow. Um, so I'd been in hospital for that yes. part of time, you know, But under different contexts, different circumstances. No one in my family had had cancer. No. I'd never, I didn't know anybody who'd been through anything like it. I didn't know any other families. Nathan and I were so isolated. Yeah. Um, you know, people are like, what can we do? And we're like, what can you do? Yeah. What can you do? You know, <laughs> cross your fingers and toes. like. And now upon reflection, with two years under your yeah, belt, yeah. what would you say people can do to help people? Oh, just with nothing. You can't do anything. There's still nothing you can do. There's nothing. Because there's absolutely nothing that you can do to take away that the disease and the 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 fear yeah and that's what it is the fear yeah. the uncertainty our lives are still so uncertain um and how are you and nathan yeah well it's been a it's been a long road for us and i can see why it destroys marriages it's been it, it's been a, it's been a hell of a road for both of us we were we were lucky um, not a word that I would use in the same sentence as a child with cancer, but we were lucky that we had a pretty tight, we were pretty tight. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'm quite a strong person. Um, I get that from my mum. Um, <laughs> I'm quite a strong person and I suppose a lot of challenges for, for him was seeing me yeah. so weak, like... Yeah. So challenged, like yeah. I was so mentally challenged, you know, my mental health. Um, I was taking Valium to get myself to go to sleep because I knew that I had to be there for Aussie. And something that Nathan said to me very early on, I, I said to him, I can't do this. Yeah. I just can't do this. Like, this is too hard. And he just said to me, you don't have a choice. Yeah. You have wow. to. Yeah. Aussie needs you. Yeah. And from that minute, I was like... You're right. It's not about me. Yeah. It can't be about me. So Nathan actually stayed with us for the whole nine months of that treatment in Newcastle. Wow. So the intensive treatment. We finally returned home on the 12th of December <laughs> in 2017. Yeah. So from the 20th of April... We finally got to come home on the 12th of December and we got to spend Christmas at home 
Um, and then really, really sadly, um, on the 5th of January, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, God. Um, unfortunately, he only lasted eight weeks. Oh, he passed no. away um, in March. So so sorry. I mean, it was a totally different cancer, um, a totally different journey. Oh. But my dad was kind of like Aussie's hero. Like, it was, yeah, dad to Aussie was just something else and they had a very close bond and I was very close to my dad too. So, oh, so losing that Jeez. at that point in time, um, yeah, it was tough. So we flew home from my dad's funeral um, we flew back to Sydney, drove back to Newcastle for Aussie to have a lumbar puncture and chemo. Jeez. So it was... Mm. You've been through it was a challenge. so much. Yeah, but we're still here. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're still... We're still, um, we're still going and people have often said to me, I don't even know how you do it, but you just don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I had questions planned around you owned a beauty salon yes. before. That was yep. the industry that you loved. Yep. You owned your own business. Yep. You became a mum. You yep. sold your business. Yep. And then becoming mum, you wear a completely different hat. And yeah. and I had questions around how do you go about finding yourself in that um you had mentioned before that you kind of felt you lost yourself a little bit when you sold the business and yeah. that kind of entrepreneurial side of you needed feeding a little bit. I guess my question, I've kind of put tossed my questions aside now because <laughs> I guess what where I kind of want to dive into is how much of that have you found, how much of yourself have you found now, your new self? Because mm. I guess you've kind of evolved from the person that you were prior to all of this, how much of that is still in you and are you finding ways of finding time for you, taking care of yourself um, in this whole experience? Yeah. Um, a huge part of me was lost, obviously. Um, a lot of my drive, a lot of my passion for life. Yeah. Um, you kind of asked you, you ask yourself... Like, why did this happen um, as a mum? What did I do mm-hmm. wrong? Um, so a lot of the blame I placed upon myself, especially because there is no reason of why this happens. Um, so the first and easiest person to blame is yourself. So I've battled for a long time um, with not blaming, not blaming myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and that's a lot of work in itself. Like that's a whole, yeah, a whole completely separate journey to, yep. to all of this. Yeah, and not easy. No, no. But it's easy. It's easy to blame yourself, but it's easy to realize there was nothing that I can do about it. Yeah, I'd always been a really powerful believer in the universe and what the universe sends my way. And then I was like, well, why did the universe send me a child with cancer? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong to deserve that? And for a long time, I was challenged with questioning the universe and questioning life. And then my dad died. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I definitely did something wrong there. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> there wasn't much positive out of that. I um that's and then hard I had to come back yeah, from that. And then I started questioning like maybe my dad died to save a life. Like maybe it was the universe's way of saving Aussie. Um, oh, you, it's going to make me t- Yeah, you always you always you know there's a positive to every every negative. Um, did my dad die to save Aussie? Well, we'll never know. Um, but I always know that he's there somewhere, mm-hmm. like that's there, his influence is there. Uh, my dad was a, an amazing man, um, amazing man and he was very well loved and he he had a, a beautiful nature 
he could walk into that hospital room when Ozzy was sick and he would say, Ozzy, 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 oi, oi, oi. <laughs> and Ozzy would say, go away, Poppy. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, yeah. And he could be this man. My dad was a major in the army and he could be this man of great strength and, um, you know, positivity and um, and then he would leave crying. So we didn't mm. see... Um, so I had to really change the way I was looking at things and I had to realise that there was nothing that I could do about what had happened. It wasn't my fault and maybe the universe delivered us this for reasons that we won't understand until later in life. Um, but it's been a very, very, very tough. Um, it's been a tough reality. Um, I'm a little less angry now, though. Yeah. I feel like I was quite angry, very traumatized. Um, but I can sleep now, and yeah. and it's I can beginning to kind of heal mm, and yeah and move forward and. We, again, are just so appreciative of you sharing this story. Why was it important to you to share this story? That's a great um, question and that's the reason that I'm here. And I was only telling you, Jane, before, there's so many stories, unfortunately. Um, you can't tell them all, but there are so many stories in paediatric cancer that are never told because the ending isn't one that can be spoken of um, and it destroys people. Um, I started our Facebook page, Aussies Heroes, the day after we lost a beautiful, the most beautiful little four-year-old boy to a brain tumour. My life particularly turned around at that point in time because I'd never known a child that died. Mm. I'd never known a child that died and I'd never seen a child on life support yeah. um, before they passed away and I saw it in September in 2017. Um, it changed my life. Yeah. And I started Aussie's Heroes for his family because they'd lost their baby and... You wanted to give them a voice. Yeah, because that voice will won't be heard because they can't because they're too broken. Yeah, and shattered. And I see a, an amazing psychologist here in Port Macquarie, and she always says to me, "Your journey becomes something unique when you can make it into positive, or you can." Um, make something positive out of something that's so negative um, so I've been searching for a long time and listening to podcasts and things like that and listening to people speak about their experiences and their journeys and unfortunately paediatric cancer is one of the least funded cancers right in Australia right um, and it's also the largest killer of our children. Jeez. Kills more children in this country than, than any anything. other disease. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Yep. Can it's because it's not spoken about, because it's too sad. Yeah. You know, it's Whereas too breast sad. cancer gets all the advertising and the fundraising and, and I the think events. the thing with breast cancer, it's so many sad, people yeah. survive it that they can then come around and turn it into a positive yes. and do something about yes. it. I see what you're they saying. They can turn yep. that tragedy of being diagnosed with breast cancer, they can, you know, put it on a billboard somewhere and share their story and people talk about it. They go and buy a couple of, you know, buns at Baker's Delight or something and that money and goes can, straight to yeah. funding breast cancer research um, but it, it, the confronting nature of paediatric cancer keeps yeah. everyone silent. Yeah. And so yeah. 
when there are no voices, yeah. no one knows that there's money that needs to be raised. And who wants to talk about it? Yeah. Like, who wants to talk about... Who wants to talk about it? It's too sad. Like it's sometimes it's too sad for me. I just, I just, I don't want to talk about it at the moment. Yeah, you know, let's talk enough. about something else. Um, yeah. And at the end of treatment, for many families, you get through that treatment. You get through that two years worth of treatment. You're so scared to bring it back up again. Yeah, yeah. Because what if you yeah. have to go through it? Yes. You know, for Nathan and I coming to the end of treatment, we haven't spoken a word about it. Yeah. Because what do you do? Do you have a party? Do you, but, yeah. you know, what if you have this big party and then six months later yes. you're in Sydney for a bone marrow transplant? There like is no right answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There isn't. Alana... You have just honestly inspired me more than I think anybody else ever with your story today. And, you know, from both Stacey and I, we can't thank you enough for sharing that. It can't have been easy. (laughs) I completely agree with you in the importance around giving this a voice so that it does become something that people are aware of and that people can contribute to. And as you say... While people can't actually come and physically help you and remove this pain for you, Aussie, mm. Nathan, anybody, mm. if you know, if anyone wants to help funding so that you know yeah. organisations like Ronald McDonald House, mm. who obviously played a pivotal role in in your journey, and 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 fundraising to go towards research so that we can understand more about why this happens, as you know, and not leave people like you with so many unanswered questions. Mm. I mean, that can't help as part of this this process. So we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for, for sharing this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and you're going to go home and hug Aussie for us, yeah? Because <laughs> I'm going to squeeze my kids so tight tonight. <laughs> They're going to not want to know what's hit them. Thank you so much for thank sharing. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I'm so grateful. Thanks for replying to my message and having me here. <laughs> Alana contacted us on Facebook. You can reach us at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 